Welcome to Local Matters. I'm your host, Matt Swallows, and we'll be looking at topics that affect us in our city, county, state, uh, areas of concern, uh, areas we want to know more about. And we started recently, a few weeks ago, uh, a series on the opioid crisis in Tennessee. Uh, we've talked to Dr. Sullivan Smith, and, and, and last week we have we had State Representatives Ryan Williams and Cameron Sexton, and they are with us again to continue that talk because we, I felt like we weren't even halfway through what we needed to talk about. Guys, thanks, thanks again for, for joining us. Um, when we left off, we were talking a lot about the data behind what's driving some of this. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and we need to be able to pick out some of the good data, some of the bad data, right? And, and, mm-hmm. and not just overreact to a big number. Right. Let's, let's, let's be careful. Uh, let's be slow about it and make sure we get it right. And uh, mm-hmm. Representative Sexton, you, we, we left off last week uh, ab- about the, the seven-day prescription thing, and, and I think you had a, a point you wanted to make about that. Right. I mean, when you when you look at uh, – when you bring on the TBI potential or law enforcement, you know, what, what we have been told is over 60% um, of someone who takes their first opioid gets out of the medicine cabinet from their parents, which creates a huge issue, which means you're, you're getting too many and you're not using them and you're saving them for that – Next time that you may need a pain, you don't want to go back to the doctor, right? right? right. Um, and why is that? So the question is, why does why do we do that? And and part of the problem is, in Tennessee, we don't allow partial fills for controlled substances. So if your doctor feels like you need twenty days, he'll write twenty days, or she will, and you may go to the pharmacy and say, you know, I only want five. I don't think I need more than five. Well, the problem is, is the pharmacist will tell you. Well, you can get five, but then you can't get the remaining. That prescription goes away. Okay. And so what people say is, well, what's the cost difference? Well, it's the same price. So what they will do is defer because they don't know about future if they need it again. They're not right. sure if they only need five days. So they go ahead and get the full script filled. They don't use it. It stays in the medicine cabinets. It creates problems. Correct. And so what we're looking at is a partial fill, which would allow the patient to only get a few of them. And then they have that determination to go back to get more if needed without losing that prescription. Now, the prescription wouldn't last a lifetime or anything. It would last a few days post, but mm-hmm. that would help hopefully get some out of the medicine cabinet. But the other problem that you have in, in when you talk to pharmacists is, is they can't tell due to the contracts with the, the PBMs, the CVS, Caremarks, Express Scripts, those pharmacy benefit managers, they can't tell the patient what the true cost of that drug is. So a lot of times if you're getting that partial fill, it's probably cheaper to pay cash than pay your $20 copay. Right. The pharmacist cannot, they don't have the ability through that contract to provide you with that information, which we think is vitally wrong. The okay. pharmacist should have the capability to have that discussion with the patient. Um, in all endeavors. Right, right. And, and I'm assuming they have that capability about other drugs that they prescribe? No, they cannot. They no. are, they, it doesn't matter. Any any drug that comes in, they can't tell you what their dispensing fee is. They can't tell you what the alternate cost would be. Uh-huh. They can only tell you if you have a copayment, and that would be the, the cost. They can't tell you if you can buy it cheaper without okay. the copayment. That's new to me. I didn't I didn't know that, but that, that that's good to know. So, <clears throat> so you know, as we look at the uh, – the data, and, and we try to figure out, you know, the good numbers, the bad numbers, and, and how to decipher between the two. That's one step that you guys have taken, and, and we appreciate that. Um, let's let's talk a little bit more because this is uh, this one is a little bit different because uh, a lot of these folks on the bad side of the numbers, I guess we'll, we'll talk about. It, they find creative ways to get not only go in a in a medicine cabinet uh, and, and take it out of a medicine cabinet, but they also find creative ways to, to get these opioids uh and 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 one of those is the the gift cards through gift cards they uh i've seen recently that a lot of folks have been stealing maybe gift cards 
reselling them uh, to get money to buy to buy this stuff. What are you guys? What have you guys seen about about that at the state level? Uh, the, you know, there are pockets of this really uh, across the state. One of the Jason Zachary, who is a uh, state representative from uh, Knox County, I think he lives in the Farragut area. Uh, this seems to be a huge problem there. What will happen is people will steal large volumes of, say, uh, Lowe's or Home Depot or Kroger gift cards mm-hmm. have them, uh, that are activated somehow, and they will then take those and sell those for drugs, and then these drug dealers have all these different cards, and it becomes a, a, a second way of, of dealing with that. And so what's happened is these uh, retailers are are – wrought with the fact is that people are going in with multiple gift cards. Like mm-hmm. they're coming in with and paying with 10, $25 gift cards to Lowe's and they're saying in their minds, this does not make sense. No one has 10. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Of course, those Visa MasterCard, those people who oversee these cards, you know, it, it becomes very problematic for somebody to be able to void their cards and their mm-hmm. transactions and the money behind them. So, What's happened is you put retailers in the and and Visa and Mastercard at odds with one another. Of how can you tell if this is fraudulent or not when there's right. no real tracking system to gift cards, uh, and where they were, uh, their point of purchase and how they're made and those kinds of things. And so uh, there is a there is a push, uh, Jason Zachary, to do that. There it, it is a big deal there. It's a big deal in Memphis, a small uh, problem in Chattanooga, but it's it's mainly restricted to large metropolitan areas where you have mm-hmm. this influx of a lot of gift cards those areas and so he hopes to to see that bill pass but it i i was a part of the discussion last year and it was very controversial uh to be able to do that much like you do with a uh, uh food stamps or mm-hmm. any other way of of using those instead of the other i mean it was i was here in cookville one time somebody said do you want 50 percent off your groceries today and i thought wow that's awesome some guy just walked up to me and he was offering to sell me someone's got uh uh, food stamps card you know so you really you see you're like i i don't it was i was really surprised as a legislator uh-huh. i thought you know i can't believe this just happened to me right right but right. but that's the kind of problems that we face whenever we have electronic currency no yeah. ids uh and those kinds of things so i think you'll see that continue the uh <clears throat> i think i read in the article the retailers are saying they'd lost a little over 200 million dollars to uh, to the gift card thing, and so it sounds like this. It's not really a new way, maybe a new way meaning gift cards, but mm-hmm. but it's an, you know, it's it's tried and true with the food stamp situation. Maybe right. it's just they found a different currency. Yeah, well, I mean, like. the, the state loses eight million dollars a year on the EBT card on what they really? try to recollect, and and the problem with the EBT cards is it's like a gift card basically, even though you have a name on it, it's it's a household card. Okay, so. It, anybody in the household can use it. There's no unique card. And so when, when they go use the EBT card, theoretically, you, you could take it from your next-door neighbor because there's no check. It's it's a householded card, which creates a lot of problems, which creates them to sell it and do other stuff. And so we're trying to work with the state to try to figure out how to have individual cards that are unique to that person so that you can't transfer those cards over. But if you're a stay-at-home mother and you're trying to make ends meet, you got uh, your mother-in-law, your mother's helping you, and mm-hmm. they're going to the grocery store for you, and and it's restricted to only you. It very becomes very problematic. For yeah, that would be, be able a, to do that. So that'd you, be a problem. There's a balance there that you got to find. How 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 do you catch those that are doing the wrong things? But how do you keep from being an impediment to those others? And and that's a, a real life example because that that happens in our community all the time. You know, and these are yeah. people who are out there uh, working and and trying to provide for their families and and taking as much help as they can get from their family. Yeah, just. You know, 
We're meeting with uh, State Representative Ryan Williams, State Representative Cameron Sexton today about the uh, opioid uh, epidemic and crisis in Tennessee. And, um, just like uh, the food stamps, just like the opioid thing, you know, it started, you know, with a really good, I mean, it has, it's a good cause. It's a good reason you're doing it. And it's just, it, you know, unfortunately, people take that and morph it into something else and, and, and cause problems for everyone else. Cause problems for the ones that actually need it. So, so another uh, guys, another hot topic I've noticed lately is is a lot of these, a lot of cities and counties, a lot of governments are starting to, uh, uh, I guess, have class class action suits against the manufacturers of these of the opioids and, and painkillers. Um, how how does the state view that? Because I've seen it's 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 mostly like you know Nashville and, and like I think Smith County did several other counties. So I've not seen anything maybe officially from the state. Uh, how do you guys look at that, or how how is that viewed? Well, Cameron and I differ on this probably a little bit. Uh, <laughs> oh, but, maybe we should have waited yeah. for the second segment on this one. <laughs> no, 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 but it's good. Cameron and I differ uh, a little bit on this. I think, you know, one of the big challenges with a federal lawsuit, you know, there was a, a class action or a, a lawsuit between the federal government and Purdue Pharma. Purdue lost uh, $600 million in, in fees and then another $120 million, I think, in legal fees and other stuff and payments. Uh, and you, you look at those and you're thinking, well, how was that any benefit at all to the state of Tennessee or to Smith County or Knox County or any of these other counties? And mm-hmm. so it was of no benefit to them. Uh, the people that uh, impugned the system were were those who, uh, who said that these weren't addicting. And then when it came to addiction services, it simply wasn't there. And so I think you're seeing some that act that way. I, I, I do think, though, that going about it at a, in a hodgepodge way mm-hmm. uh, is meaning as individual municipalities, cities, and counties, is a difficult way to do that. I think if you were going to do it, you would ask, of, of which I did, I asked the, the Attorney General to look into it, uh, and the Speaker of the House, uh, not so supportive of that uh, all the way, but uh, but and Cameron thinks that that can also be problematic probably too, and, and I'm in agreement with that. I, I think what the heart of the matter is that I think we all agree on, uh, whether it's the governor's bill, $30 million of which – uh, 15 million of it only goes to treatment, mm-hmm. uh, which is what uh, Chairman Sexton said earlier. We we've got to catch people on the front end. You catch right. people on the front end normally because of mental illness. When Sully was here, probably he probably told you about most of the people that come to the ER are dealing with issues of mental illness. They're not dealing with that. Addiction is a byproduct of their mental illness. Mm-hmm. So when we don't spend a lot of money dealing with people's uh, uh, health in that fashion, I think we we could do that. So I. I I was looking at it from the perspective of if there are resources that are available because they did something that was wrong, we should try to get those resources back so that we can actually impact Tennesseans and their overall health. Because uh, regardless of whether it's opioids or obesity or diabetes or, or chronic heart disease, Tennessee, we're, we're among the worst mm-hmm. in the nation. Yes. So we've got to figure out ways to do that. And it's what we found about, it, even though we improve the, the quality of health and uh, for people in, in small ways, the overall health of our state. Prescriptions is just a, one of, uh, of, of many problems mm-hmm. with the sickness that we have. Mm-hmm. We've, uh, we've been meeting today with uh, State Representative Cameron Sexton and Ryan Williams to talk about the uh, opioid crisis in Tennessee. And uh, we just started the conversation about the lawsuits against the manufacturers of the opioids. And we will, when we return for the second half, we'll, we'll continue to discuss that. Welcome back to Local Matters. I'm your host, Matt Swallows. Uh, with us today, State Representatives Ryan Williams and uh, Cameron Sexton. And 
we continue to discuss the opioid crisis in Tennessee. And before the break, we left on the lawsuits against the manufacturers of these drugs. And and, and Representative Williams was was talking about uh, a lot of the season counties that are, that have filed lawsuits against them, and 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 that may be good, but maybe collectively we could be stronger. Uh, and, and talked about getting the money to to help the folks on the front end before they get addicted. And and um, Representative Sexton. What's your take on the lawsuits with the manufacturers? Well, what I would say is, you know, years ago there's a federal lawsuit on Purdue Pharmaceutical where they paid out hundreds of millions of dollars um, out, and so there, there's a remedy out there of if somebody's doing wrong. There's remedies right now where if you have uh, a rep or a company who's misleading the public or providers at this point in time, that you can go back and sue them and do something. I don't have a problem with doing that at all. Mm-hmm. Um, what I will say is, is if we're going to really start to look at who we need to sue. Um, if that's the road you want to go down, you can't just blame the pharma industries. You can't. You, I think you've seen a lot of lawsuits move to the wholesalers as potential issue. Um, you have to to realize that the insurance companies and, and the PBMs are authorizing this and approving all these medications. Right. So the right. provider writes it. There has to be a prescription for it. There has to be a prior authorization for it that the insurance do. So you so would think that paying for it. So you basically. would think that they are aware mm-hmm. of the consequences at that point. You know, the, you could say the pharma is providing the drug, wholesalers are shipping the drug, even TenCare. You could say you could sue TenCare because TenCare has the highest rate of opioid use right now that they've ever had. And so I don't think you can just single out one entity and say you're the only ones to blame. I think there's a lot of blame going around. And if you're going to yeah. do it, you blame everybody and you go after everybody. But you can't just because you think pharma has big pockets uh, go in that direction. I think sometimes some of the lawsuits are trying to get to be class action and, and have them go um, at the end of the day. So what I would say is, is you just have to be cautious when you sue and realize that this was a problem that a lot of people are involved in. And it, I don't have a problem with you going that way, but if you do, you just need to make sure you make everybody responsible, not just one entity. Just because there's low-hanging fruit from one pharmaceutical company mm-hmm. doesn't make them the only bad actor. Right, right. right? Yeah. And, and I think what he's saying is, is, and I would agree with that, there are other bad actors out there mm-hmm. and we shouldn't necessarily go after what is perceived to be low-hanging fruit because there has been a case that was won. Yeah, so you basically <clears throat> the lawsuits against the, the I guess, the, the big pharmaceutical companies, there's precedent out there. So that's why a lot of these folks are going after. And, and so we need, maybe we're thinking, maybe we need to slow down a little bit and, and get everybody that's involved with it, not just go after one industry necessarily. Going after, going after I mean, really the enablers too. You know, the, I mean, I'm an insurance business, but... You know, insurance companies are paying for it. You know? Well, yeah, if I mean, I'm going to continue yeah. to pay for it. Blue Cross Blue Shield, Aetna, Cigna, yeah. you know, you, I United. mean, mm-hmm. Express Scripts, you know, I mean, is, is a, nowadays the way the healthcare system works is a physician really can't do too much at all without having prior approval. Prior approval. You're and exactly so who's, right. it's not the pharmaceutical companies that are giving them that approval. Right. That's right. My, my statement. Right. Great segue agree. into a, uh, a bill that I'm working on with uh, Dr. Gray here. All know, right. To, well, well, I say that because uh, he's saying, you know, it's, it, it's not just the pharmaceutical companies that are out there that are a problem. It's physicians are empowered to do certain things. And there are instances where physicians, uh, whether it's Intractable Pain Act uh, that calls us or Cameron gets 10 times as many calls as I do as, as being the chairman of health. But, uh, you know, Dr. Gray here in town called uh-huh. and said, you know, there was some, uh, there was a, acne medicine that was prescribed years ago that uh, caused deformities uh, with young women who uh, were of childbearing age if they invert uh, got pregnant uh, and they were on this acne medicine mm-hmm. uh, then what the what the federal government determined to do is and state government said if you're gonna use this certain acne treatment I don't want to name them but if you if you 
uses certain acne treatment, you have to have some kind of birth control as, okay. a, as a part of that prescription. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and also there had to be a redundancy that that, and the communication with the patient about that, that they were also saying that you, you had to have another form of birth control if you were, uh, going to take this medicine. And Dr. Gray called and some others, Dr. Hall here in our community called and said, if we could do this for this acne drug medication, why can't we do it for opioids as well? Cause the precedence okay. was already set to do that, right. uh, w- in an effort to try to curb the NAS problem even more. You know, I think, as I told you earlier, a lot of the NAS births are people that we go to church with. We know they, they got a prescription from a physician. They had a, uh, a heavy cycle or something. There's a lot of pain. And so they wanted to do that. But, but this, what this would do is it would help the physician to have a better discussion with patients as it relates to the opioids and their addictive properties and what it could mean if they were to get pregnant uh, so that they can have the discussion about that. And so you know, most of the bills that, that Cameron and I deal with are not from the back end, like we're talking about, where it's enablers and pharmaceuticals and those mm-hmm. kinds of things mm-hmm. that deal with CMS and insurance. Most of the time, it's really from the front end where the front lines where physicians are interacting with patients and pharmacists are interacting with patients. And so uh, we're, we're working on a bill this year to do to do that. It, uh, it'll be interesting to see about the dialogue because, mm-hmm. you know, as, 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 uh, legislators get involved in that those decision making processes some people take offense yeah but the, <clears throat> but the heart of the matter is is that there's still if you have one nas birth and you're holding one of these babies that are crying because they want drugs and not mama it's a it's a completely different thing and if we can eliminate more of those i think it's something that we should definitely look at okay now tell me again tell me exactly what 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 your bill would do it would your all the bill would do is would require a physician okay who prescribes uh, opioids mm-hmm. to someone to a young female who's of childbearing age okay. would would require that they also provide them a prescription for birth control, okay. some form of okay. birth control. Okay. What I will tell you too is um, when you talk to the local sheriffs, mm-hmm. um, and they have seventy percent of their population is some kind of behavioral health issue, substance abuse, and you talk to OBGYNs in the area, teen care a lot of times, um, and other. Uh, insurance companies will pay for IUDs, which is an implanted pregnancy device, mm-hmm. um, in in an effort to to reduce the amount of uh, NAS babies out there. Um, and the counties that have input it in, like Sevier County, um, they started. It's not mandatory that the patient takes it or the female takes it, but they have a conversation with them. And what they've seen is a massive reduction in NAS babies in Sevier County in those counties where they make it a proactive part of the, the conversation. Instead of not, so it kind of goes back to the to the the theme we started with, just the education component of all of this. I mean, there's so many folks out there that just don't know uh, about the addictive, I guess, qualities of some of these some of these drugs, and and uh, you know, I not to make light of it, but I mean, there was a day when when nobody wore seatbelts, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and and you started that campaign of education about wearing a seatbelt, and now look, I mean. I don't hardly get in my car without putting my seatbelt on. My kids sure don't, you know? Right. Uh, so it's just that education component. But <clears throat> so, and I'm also glad you mentioned uh, about talking to the law enforcement side of, of this opioid deal, because that, that's going to be our, our next segment is to talk to, to the law enforcement side about, about the opioid crisis and what they see on the front lines and every day and, and, and that sort of thing. But, but Representative Williams and, and Representative Sexton, I want to I want to thank you guys for coming in and taking time out of your day. I know this is your legislative season, and it makes it harder to, to get you guys in here. So I, I really appreciate it. 
because this opioid thing is is a huge problem, not just in the Upper Cumberland, not just in Tennessee. I mean, it is across 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 America, and and it's good to know the the state legislature, of course, knows that has recognized that for years now, and and you're doing you're taking some steps to to curb that problem and that issue, and uh, and also not just reacting. You know, I appreciate that as a taxpayer. <laughs> just reacting to something, then having to go back and change it. Um, right. You know, you, you got to be you got to be smart about it. And 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 I'm sure we're we're modeling some of the things we do by some states that have already, I guess, fought this battle as well, right? Well, I, I mean, what, what, a simple example. It probably doesn't require legislation, right? Is we we started a few years ago doing the top 100 list for prescribers who are in the top 100 prescribers in the state for opioids to identify them to let them know so we can watch them. But that's then, a list you don't want to be on. That's right? a list you don't. Well, unless you're an oncologist or hospice okay. or something, right? right? I mean, right, there's right. we we I think we finally just saw the first on- oncologist finally make the list, which is a huge improvement in the state of Tennessee. Um, so there's certain that you want to see. You don't want to see family practice people and right. nurse practitioners. Right. I mean, it's just not what you want to see. But what but what we can do is 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 if you're a physician and say you're in Cookville, right? You may not think that you're prescribing a lot. I mean, because you're never going to be on the top 100. But no one really knows where they stand with their peers. And so one of the things that we're talking about is through the controlled substance database, which is doing, and we've talked to the Tennessee Medical Association about doing a doctor report card on an annual basis. Not as an effort to to wig them out or anything, but just say, here's what you're prescribing. Here's what your peers are. So you can kind of look at it and say, wait a minute, I'm a little too high from what my peers are doing. Uh-huh. Or I'm doing about right. Because a lot of times what will happen is you don't have to mandate to physicians everything that they do. I don't think that at all. Right. I think you just, it's like anything else. You have to give them the information to let them know that they're doing great. Maybe they're a little high. Maybe they're a little low. Mm-hmm. But that kind of information where they can look at their practice themselves and make those internal changes, I think, are a lot better than government a lot of times coming in and trying to force the physician to do right, something. Right, right. Again, it goes back to the education component and just giving them the information and and. and you know, relying on their professional expertise from that point, but uh, just giving them education and that and that's great and, and and which is another step to help to help curb curb the problem. But uh, again, guys, I just want to say thank you so much for for what you're doing. Thank you for the leadership at the state on this. Um, I know it. It uh, I guess most of our listeners out there, there's probably not many folks listening that this is not affected at some form or fashion. Uh, Representative Williams, just like you said, I mean, these are just everyday kind of folks. And I think Representative Sexton said it. No one really started saying, I want to be an addict. So so the more education we can get uh, out there, the better. And uh, I want to say thank you. Uh, you're a huge part of this series. And, and, and I want to say thank you for everything you're doing at the state level. And um, please feel free to come back anytime. I'd love to talk about this or anything else going on that you guys want to talk about. Um, and I, we appreciate everything you guys do for us up at the state level. Well, thank you all very much. And um, I know I only have a little bit, a bit of, of Putnam County, but I appreciate uh, the bigger part of Putnam County that sends Ryan to Nashville to help serve with me on the health committee. Well, and, he, uh, said, he says that to be nice, but he's the guy in control. <laughs> I'm just kind of the, the first mate over here when it comes to things about health. But we're, you know, Cameron and I, one of the good things about uh, being neighbors and also being similar in what we're doing, it's, it's great. We do share a county, which is really really exciting but we we thank for the opportunity to be here we're we're surprised uh when sometimes uh that people don't ask us to come on uh, on these shows more often but it's a good opportunity for us to tell people really yeah. about uh what it's going what's going on at the state and also to hear what you're hearing as a as a host here on the radio especially when i, I can't speak for cameron but i do have a face made for radio 
And so this gives <laughs> us an opportunity to, to hear that and communicate really about what's going on. So thanks for the opportunity to be here today. Yeah, thank you, Matt. Representative Ryan Williams, Representative Cameron Sexton, thank you so much. And uh, thank you for listening to Local Matters.